Hey everybody, welcome to Tonebenders. Before we get into the main body of the show, I just wanted to tell everybody about a really cool thing that's happening in the sound design community. A group of 43 sound effects recordists teamed up through social media to create a crowdsourced library of cartoon sounds. The Cartoons Field Recording Slack Collaboration is a collection of over 1,600 sounds and 45 gigabyte of content, covering a selection of classic and stylized cartoon sounds. All this is being offered in exchange for donations to one of three charities. With all the humanitarian issues going on right now in the world, this is one of the most critical times you can make a donation to Doctors Without Borders, Or you can donate to 350.org, a climate change activism organization. Or you can donate to Hearing Loss Research. You can read more about the project and figure out how to go about it at www.frscharity.org. Again, that's www.frscharity.org. Or go to tonebenderspodcast.com to the episode page for this episode and you'll find links there. It's a really great set of sounds and you're also helping out charity, so you can't really go wrong. So go check it out at frscharity.org. Okay, now let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Tone Menders. My name is Tim Muirhead and I will be your host for today. We're recording this episode on April 2nd, 2020. We are all a few weeks into self-isolation and getting a little loopy. With me today is my co-host, Teresa. Hey, Teresa, how are you surviving lockdown so far? I'm doing okay. I'm all set up at home, so things are chugging along. Yeah, I'm all set up from home and my children are stomping their feet quite regularly above me. I'm in the basement. So if you hear any stomping, that's just my uh, small children. But my spirits are about to be lifted greatly because we have a fantastic set of guests today. A team of legend. Skywalker Ranch's Foley team is with us here today. There's no point in listing all the films that they've worked on like we do with our normal guests because they've worked on all of them. Think about your top five favorite films and chances are very good that these guests have worked on more than a few of them. Between the three of them, they have just under 100 Golden Reel Emmy and CAS Award nominations. And mixed in there is a lot of wins too. So uh, let's get ready to welcome Scott Curtis, the team's Foley mixer. Hello, Scott. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for the invite. And with us are the Foley artists, John Resch and Shelley Roden. Welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. So you guys are all in self-lockdown and have been for a little while, I assume? Yeah. Yes. Since, for three weeks, I believe this is week three. Is that correct, guys? Since the 6th. Since the beginning. 16th. Uh, yes, okay. exactly. Okay. Is this the longest you've been apart? Uh, physically, yes, but not spiritually. Correct. <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> and you're in uh, Northern California, San Francisco area, obviously. Yeah. Marin County. Yeah, so it's it's been a situation. And uh, one thing that I've seen John talk about online a lot uh, is the use of the word Foley. And how it's kind of definition has been changing in certain ways in recent years. And I'm wondering if, John, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Well, I, I'll start, then I'll, I'll throw over to Shelley. I mean, Foley, of course, in its infancy was not even that. It was <clears throat> uh, going to the sink A stage or the sink stage or maybe where the, where the Foley man is. Um, then, of course, in deference to Jack, it became that. And it started out just filling little holes, you know, um, picking up a glass, set of keys down, maybe some footsteps to then, of course, a full on Foley job, footsteps and props all the way through. Then we've seen the last four or five, maybe six years, 
uh, Foley, quote, libraries, unquote, which are actually recorded sound effects, but they're called Foley, which is kind of curious to me because Foley is a performance art, which actually Shelley can speak to much better than I can. Well, well, John, you spoke really well of the history of Foley. And I think to, in today's world, even, I see a lot of students confusing the word Foley with field recording, which is recording on the field and not looking at picture at the same time that you were performing. And that also can get confused with sound effects, which we are a part of sound effects, but our specific role is to watch the screen at the same time that we perform so that we can customize the effects and just bring to life what we see on the screen um, in our using our bodies and props. So that is how Foley is differentiated from sound effects and field recording. So do you have any suggestions of what people should be calling these sound effects libraries that they're currently calling Foley? Sound effects libraries. Yeah, really. Seriously. Fair enough. I mean, really, that's because that's what they are. I mean, you could call them Foley effects, but it's not, I mean, just because Foley would fall into a category of the, I, I see Foley as the, the stuff that the principal characters come in contact with in a feature or a movie or animated feature uh, that create a sound. So if, they, if they're walking on a floor, they're footsteps. If they, if they push each other around, there's shoving going on. There's gray areas too, but anything that they would come in contact with that would create a sound that you would want to hear. That's, that's what Foley is. So, but these libraries, you know, they can have those, those sounds, but it's not Foley because it's not performed to picture. That's the differentiation. You, you, your team that's worked together, how long now? Four plus years, right yeah, guys? Four, five, four years, five months. Mm -hmm. So how would you say your interactions have evolved uh, over that time to pick up the pace. I've worked with uh, other Foley teams, and what I've always found when I'm sitting in the room while they're working is that there is a ton of communication happening that is nonverbal. And I was just wondering how you uh, evolved that over time. In the beginning, it was all trying to figure out and, and determine each other's tastes, what we, and then, and then based on what our expectations were as to how the cues were going to go or the, this was, you know, one person's bigger is somebody else's not so much. And, and so you had to kind of use, it kind of evolved. And then it came, came a point where we didn't have to communicate as much because we were all on the same page or we all understood what, what we needed from each other um, over the course of, of time. Yes. I think it's a great, Thing to bring up the idea that um, John came up to Skywalker Sound and he brought you, Scott, and me, Shelly, along with him and formed this team, which was a miracle because um, we had never worked be together before necessarily. Well, we have from time to time, but not as a team, not the three of us as a Foley team. So I think right from the beginning, we all realized and laid the foundation for us to all respect each other, have a voice, and make it about the work. It is not about the ego. It is all about serving the story. Right, right. I'm going to add into that too. Um, what Scott said was uh, early on, uh, Scott and I actually did the first show together <clears throat> and didn't even, I mean, literally had to shoo out the contractors to get going in the morning because the stage was not quite ready, if you will. 
So there was really no way to QC it in, a, in an absolute way. There certainly was from a gut feeling way. And of course, Scott's you know, gut feeling too. Uh, then the next picture, fortunately, we were able to get Shelly. Uh, she was between films and she came up and all, we started really firing all cylinders. Then it was this, um, the starting of this amalgam. We were, we were all starting to flow together. So we still had, at least certainly, certainly I did, had some, uh, some things that I would have done previous in my previous incarnation that were not necessarily going to serve us well here. Not bad, but just could be better. And that really is at, at Scott's feet, uh, pardon the pun, if you will, because um, you know he's also has been an incredibly good uh, sound effects editor, et cetera, Foley editor. So point being, he's not just a Foley mixer, which is taking nothing away from excellent Foley mixers only, but he has the added advantage of really being able to help direct, if you will, with the performance aspect of it from the editorial standpoint. Which again, that's not something I had ever experienced before, and that has really been an eye opener and been fantastic. So that's why I think I will just say straight out: I think we do the best work in the world right now, no question in my mind. John, you said when you set up with this team at Skywalker, you had to make some changes to the way you were used to working. Can you describe a little bit of what that is, or does that have to do with Scott uh, and the way he mixes? To answer your question, it does have to do with Scott as far as my uh, previous setup, which was wonderful and really did great work, but there was not a teasing out of specific things that potentially could be better on a very, very minute scale. Now, I'm not saying, you know, if the queue had 98% great and just a couple percent not, we'd redo it. No. But if there's something within the queue that Scott would say, well, you know, what about this? Or, it, you know, it seems like, because he's listening, by the way, to the to the track sometimes, the actual production track, the dialogue, or whatever we're given that makes sense to listen to. Because I don't listen to live, nor do I listen to the feed, per se, unless it has to do with something music-oriented. So anyway, he can then tease it out a little bit more. So really... You know, it's just it's like putting a pinstripe on something that's just right, you know, versus a beautiful paint job. But, boy, that pinstripe will just make it just so. Scott, can you sort of articulate what he's talking about, about what the, that sort of finesse is, in, in especially in terms of, like, how something might be blending with the production track? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I mean, it really, yeah, boy, it depends. Sometimes it's, you know... Keeping in mind that, not that I ever have to remind them of story points or anything like that, you know, stuff that needs emphasis or anything. They're, you know, we all watch the film or the reel or whatever prior to actually going into recording. So we know, we know the story, we know who, what, where the emphasis needs to be. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of times while I'm recording stuff, I'll kind of imagine myself as the editor listening to it as we're going and then go, what would I want or what would I... After listening to that, what would I need to change to make it perfect or make it better or, or, or whatever it is? Um, and so sometimes I'll just go back for this, that, or the other thing. And it isn't because necessarily that John didn't give it to me or Shelly didn't give it to me, but more because they didn't realize that the mic didn't pick it up that way. Or it was something mm -hmm. I did or didn't do. I guess it's really just having worked on enough movies and stuff before and having sat in that editor's chair... Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I'm giving them all the ingredients that they need to make the cake the best cake it can be, if that's a good metaphor. <laughs> we add a lot of sprinkles to yeah, yeah. many cues, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because um, we are given, to expand on what Scott's saying, we're given the cues from the Foley 
editor Foley supervisor, and we will go through each one of the cues and then play it back and say, you know what it needs? It needs this, and we will add it. And it's so wonderful when we actually have the time and the schedule to be able to nuance as much as possible. And between the three of us, we're like, what, how can we best tell this story in this very moment? And we'll all have different ideas. We all have different approaches. So I think that's really cool. And it makes it very rich and um, just necessary. our backgrounds are, yeah, necessary. Um, we all bring our strengths, which are different strengths to the team. And that just makes it more exciting. And, and I think it makes the work better in the end. What are the different strengths you each bring? Well, I'm good looking. No. <laughs> he, looks, he looks great in front of the mic. Yes. <laughs> and I make really loud and annoying noises to just keep Scott on his toes. Yeah, that's so fantastic. That's strength. Yeah, I l- um, love that. And Scott makes us laugh so much that sometimes I can't get through a cue without rolling on the floor, like just losing it. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and then... And John's our moral compass. Yes. <laughs> I mean, to try to answer the question, and I say try, I mean that sincerely. I don't know that there's anything in particular that one is better at than the other, but outside of what things might fall naturally. In fact, in my experience in in the 40-some-odd years I've been doing this, women can do men's footsteps much better than men can do women's footsteps. Um, so there's there's that, number one. And number two, uh, anything I do, Shelly can do. No question about it. And it would be just as good, if not better, potentially. And I think to some degree, the reverse. But neither of them can do what I can do. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Well said. (laughs) I I saw you make the point in uh, an article I was reading where you're you're saying there's more more oh. astronauts in the world than there are Foley artists. And you were like, yeah, and there's only half as many recordists <laughs> as there, or mixers as there are artists, so we're even more rare. I, I forget that that made it out in public. <clears throat> <laughs> and, and to get the quote correctly, it's there are more astronauts in the world than there are working professional Foley artists. Okay. There's still half as many of those, though, so. still. Who's <laughs> a professional? I don't know. And or a third, Scott. actually. I think it's really a third. <laughs> if you think about it, <laughs> we don't like each other very yeah. much, as no, you can see. So, so please <laughs> let let us get back to the conversation whenever you want, because <laughs> we get carried away sometimes. <laughs> no, we love it. It's great. Okay. Um, well, let's talk about some of the work you've done recently. Toy Story Four came out last fall or summer? I can't remember when it exactly came out. Uh, But I'd like to talk about animation in particular, because I feel like everybody knows how Foley kind of works for live action stuff. It's been given a lot of coverage over the years. But animation is a pretty different animal in terms of uh, sound effects. But how differently do you approach animation in Foley? There's challenges when you do live action, because you're, you're kind of stuck with the production track. And so the idea is that you're sitting there trying to match production and, and the performance has to work with production. It has to sit in right with production. It's got to work so that they've, and you're doing full coverage for ADR, blah, blah, blah. With animation, it's a different challenge because you're not tied to anything, which is fantastic. You don't have to make those nuances work, but it has to be, it almost has to be perfect. And a lot of stuff has to just 
be, oh my gosh, that's fantastic. Just, at, but almost as it is, if that makes any sense. Um, which can be liberating, but, but then at the same time, it, if it's not working, if it's not cute, or if it's not, if it doesn't work, then you have to, it's, it's just a different challenge. But it's just, it's just interesting to me that, that the two, there's stark differences, I think, between live action fully recording than, versus the animated stuff for that very reason. It just, it just, yeah, yeah, it just has to, it's just got to be very particular. As far as being perfect, sometimes we will spend two, two hours doing one scene just to make it perfect, just to make it sound exactly in the pocket of where we want it. Yeah, I mean, of course, you know, that, that had some new characters in it, um, Forky uh, being one. And, uh, um, of course, you know, that's an animated character that has, you know, a, a, a tongue depressor, you know, broken in half, so to speak, for feet or, or something along those lines, or something that, you know, kids would use, popsicle sticks, I should say. So, you know, I mean, how does that sound? And, and moreover, as Scott said, you know, how do we make it sound funny and appealing and you want to be engaged with this character of something of which if you if you listen to the, the track, there is no track. It's strictly only the dialogue, period. So, so you know, we sometimes will uh, do some experimentation. Maybe we will do certain takes we think are good, you know, A, B, C, D, and then send them off to the powers that be to have them review them. And from that, we will then work back to what, what was uh, the feedback we were given and work off that. And and that that part of that process is uh, it possibly it does translate to feature films too, live action. But it's more critical, I think, to some degree in a uh, in an animated feature. So I was going to say, I found that in animation, there is an onus on Foley to be funny a lot of the time that isn't necessarily there in live action. Uh, for instance, the the feet of the horse in the Toy Story films. It brings me great joy whenever that horse starts running around. I don't know how you did that, but it's it's a great sound. And I, I don't know that a live-action horse is ever counted on to uh, kind of deliver those emotions. Um, and that's an interesting observation because the horse feet, we had a, let's call it a base set of props for the feet, but that might or might not work on various surfaces. You know, because oh, a pillow, oh. pillow versus a... A, asphalt versus a tile inside of an RV, et cetera. They all have a little different qualities and, and it might not work. So there again, that's where Shelley's ideas and or Scott's ears and or the combination of all help make a difference. Because again, it's almost like, you know, uh, if, if we do the cue and we play it back, go, uh, that's it. Then we know it's right. The gut feeling tells us it's right. So, um, and Shelly, I'm sorry, you were going to say something. No, I'm just going to continue on to say you're correct. Um, if Woody's wearing cowboy boots, I don't necessarily wear cowboy boots to create the sound of that. And I will perform him wearing the shoes because I want to make him sound more human. So I'll give him a heel toe feeling and that helps um, wearing the shoes actually helps to deliver that. But he's bouncing all over the place from like John said, from pillows to shelves to um, tents, like the top of a circus tent. So, I mean, I'm not going to put my body weight on that. And anyway, it might not sound the way I want it. So what's the quality we're looking for? We always think about, I love the whole process of Foley because we listen to the context of what we need to fit 
the Foley moment into, and then we analyze and say, okay, between the three of us, what do we want to hear? And then we'll think about, okay, how do we accomplish this sound? Let me gather these tools. Okay, let's try it. And then we try it and, and we play it back because we never know how it's going to work until we play back within the context of everything and it reveals its true nature to us. And we might tweak something very little or we might just approach it from a whole different standpoint. But it's so exciting and fun just to be innovative and experimental and not be afraid to make mistakes because there's a lot of really great stuff in mistakes. So Scott, in terms of animation, does it, aff- uh, I'm, maybe we should talk about this first, but you're, are you using uh, a room mic and a close-up mic when you're doing your recording? Most of the time, except, except when I do animation, actually. I, I don't use as much room, partly because the dialogue is usually so dry. Uh, that it just doesn't sound right. It puts, you know, I, the footsteps will be, dis, dis, uh, perspective-wise, will be away from where the dialogue is. And so I tend to, I might put some on just to, because I don't want it to be sitting right in my face, but um, I don't, I, I back off of my, my room mic a lot when I do animation. But anyway, you, that wasn't necessarily your question. <laughs> no, that was exactly my question. It was how do you approach animation when you're not sure? Uh, sometimes maybe even the animation might not, not, might not be done. You don't know how big the rooms are sometimes. Or uh, just wondering how you approach giving uh, some space to the Foley. But you uh, preceded my question before I even got it out because of your psychic abilities. <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> there must be a thing, too, with animation. I, I don't know. The, the kinds of shows that we work on, usually we're we're looking at mostly finished animation, but I imagine in a feature film, you might be asked to start working when the exact texture of the surfaces or the space is not fully uh, rendered so that you can really have a good sense of it. Is that true? That's correct. Yeah. And sometimes we have, like, on the screen, we'll be watching, like, a cardboard cutout of the animated pe- person just kind of... M- sliding across the screen and so luckily our supervisors are so on the ball that they're in touch with for example the art department at Pixar and they'll say hey so what is the floor surface here and they'll get back to them because they already know so the communication is awesome I recently worked on an animated episode that had a uh, the plot was uh, someone's collector plate had fallen and was rolling down the street and I cut all this stuff of a ceramic plate only to find out when the final picture arrived that it was made of metal and none of that stuff would work. So uh, wow. I appreciate the situation you're talking about. I just, I, I, that was my fault for making the assumption. I should have asked, but <laughs> yes, I know exactly what you mean, unfortunately. <laughs> Ouch. Yes, That's that when hurts. you go back to the animators and say, can you make it ceramic? Because you're going to love yeah. what I've done for this role. <laughs> yes. I'd love... If only. I, I would love to have rules like that. Like, tell the animators, no rugs, please. They don't sound <laughs> yes. that great. And also, tell them to please slow down the pace of their footsteps, because there's no way a human can actually do that. But we manage. Right, Forky? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, so... Let's kind of take a moment to break down how you would approach a sound. I'm sure you guys get this a lot, but uh, the example that I was going to put forth to you is uh, if an animated film, there's a giant character, a humongous character, and you have to do the feat for it. How do you approach that kind of thing? 
He's he's in the woods, let's say. On, on dirt? So dirt. By saying yeah, in the woods? Okay. How do you want to start, you guys? <laughs> <laughs> we put our so shoes on. Part of it would depend upon, is it, are we establishing <laughs> the character or has it already been established? So therefore, is it my character, quote unquote, or Shelly's character, quote unquote, not that we don't have interchangeability. And if, let's say, it was mine, um, and... Uh, we've never done the dirt before. We might do some variations, uh, check it out, uh, test wise, or, uh, knowing how that character is playing dramatically in the scene, you know, is he tromping up so big that he's scaring them, the main character, you know, or, 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 and is he doing it an evil way or is he doing it in a way where he's kind of a clumsy fun oaf, all those things, believe it or not, we will try to put into the sound of the footstep. And that really is where Scott will help that because we can, at least I can, we'll create a base, if you will, but then he will take that and, and adjust it, which will do two things. One, it will uh, it will hopefully create that character that we're seeing that you believe it. And then also, too, let's say there's a character even bigger than that character, and then all the rest are smaller, to have a, a context. So they're all living within that world because that's the one thing you want to do in an animated film, or actually in every film, but, but certainly animated film. The world you create sonically works within itself. So we're never taking the audience out of that. And as far as the approach is concerned, um, using our side of the glass versus Scott's side, whenever Scott needs something like more bass, I try to do it on my side of the glass first because I guess I'm a purist and I try to do all I can before he has to manipulate the signal. Um, So luckily... We have a dirt pit that's very large, and it connects to, as John likes to say, Mother Earth. And (laughs) there's a part of it that thumps, and then there's a part of it that does not, because we dig it up like crazy with this auger that John just bought, which is awesome. So we'll utilize that pit thump to create the sound of the bassy, larger character. And then maybe Scott will goose it just a little bit with his tricks. But performance is, it's really about the performance of it on our end. So would you do a giant footsteps with your feet or would you use a prop to be slamming down or uh, obviously? Well, it depends. I I think it depends on what you want to accomplish. Like, do you want heel toe or can it just be like a wham, wham? Um, What's pleasant really, I guess, is the question. And to my ear, what would convey a sense of movement would be the heel toe. So I would use my body because... I'm pretty pretty heavy. Um, instead of me manipulating like a sandbag or something, it's much easier for me to manipulate my own body. And so I would deliver whatever Scott needed. Um, he would play it back for me to tell me what he's, show me what he's doing with it. And then I would adjust accordingly. And that's really fun to learn, actually, because when I can't hear with my ear purely what is being heard on Scott's side through the microphone, then it's it's a fun learning curve to just hear the playback of what he is doing, and then I'll adjust what I am doing on my side of the glass based on what he needs. So, Scott, what the heck are you doing back there? Oh, my gosh, your girl can't give away all her secrets. No. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I mean, actually, it's better to also to get – If I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll pull back the curtain in a second um, – but it is it's better for me if I can get the at least get as much of the of the beef of the of the sound that we're trying to get from their side of the glass just because then that makes that it makes it either there's more for me to grab and manipulate or um 
or I can back them off or whatever. And it depends if it's level that we're talking about or if it's actually low end and, and so on. Um, but what I'll do, I'll do, I do a number of things. I'll either, I've got a pitch shifter that I've got in line hmm. um, while I'm recording. I've also got a uh, sub synth um, box. And so between the two of them, and depending on where I put them in the order, uh, sometimes I'll just use the sub synth. Sometimes I'll use the pitch shifter. Sometimes I'll pitch shift and then go from there into the sub synth because that gives me even more depth. It just depends on what I'm doing. And back to what John was talking about earlier, um, yeah, we have to make sure that if there's a big elephant on screen and we're covering the elephant, we make sure the, the elephant is covered, that the elephant's good to go. But if King Kong shows up in a later scene, I've got to have room to make the difference between the elephant and King Kong. And so, you know, it's good to know how wide this palette needs to be, you know, in the beginning of the show so that we can keep everything in perspective. I think what you're pointing out is maybe interesting uh, in terms of like, oh, why are why is the so-called Foley sound effects library not the same as performed Foley is one of these things is like you can have this range of performances on the same surface. Those Foley uh, record uh, those libraries that are utilized for Foley that can be that can be great, but yeah, getting to the point, it won't necessarily have the soul that we will bring to it because it just can't. You cannot match that. You cannot create that, cannot fake it. It's either there or it's not. Well, it's not customized. Like, I love that word that you use, John. They're customized sound effects. So imagine if the director's in the stage with us and he or she is saying, I want this to sound precious. Like, like they're handling it like they love it more than anything in the world. I mean, finding something like that in a library would be very challenging you know, the way a person handles something. Um, the same with footsteps. I mean, if they want a character who is very stiff and and rigid, then we can deliver that immediately. Or they can go look, try to find it in the library and cobble it together. But that's, that's a huge challenge, and it takes a lot more time. How often does it happen the other way around at Skywalker, where someone working on Avengers, like Shannon Mills or something like that, comes to you and says, uh, this scene doesn't exist yet, but I'm going to need these types of sounds. Can you guys kind of create a library of stuff for me? Does that ever happen? I think only in video game world that happens. Right, guys? Yeah, pretty much. There has been a one-off here and there where uh, editors will say to us, or excuse me, sound designers slash supervisors will say, hey, I want to mess around with water a little bit because I want to get an idea or this, that, and the other. But what it'll be is it'll be something for them, he or she, to use to get a sense of what maybe they could use as recorded effects that you know w- with us, but and or then where to point us to what they need, you know, because water in particular is extremely difficult to do well in foley. I mean, it's very difficult. So, so what kind of water tank do you guys have? <laughs> well, Shelly, tell them. <laughs> John, I think you can do it much better than I can because that laugh, I cannot, like, you have something behind that laugh. You got to share. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not a tank. It's a series of tanks in that, if you can imagine, kind of like a runway uh, where models would be on to some degree, except that being uh, literally uh, flat, it's on an incline moving down towards a bathtub size um, tank. What we'll do is we'll put a, a dam, if you will, between the bathtub-sized tank and that runway. And the runway, gets, again, it's on an incline, so if we put that dam in there, we fill it up, 
it can be maybe six inches to to then if you walk backwards or work from the back towards that dam, it's since it's on an incline, it's less and less. So it gives us a good variation. The the, the tank itself past the dam is uh, the size of a small bathtub, and then in front of that is a 450 gallon tank that. Uh, I don't know of any other place in the world that has it in that uh, you, we can do a fax there and you cannot hear the room, which is extremely unusual. Wow. So, and we've done just that. We've done just that. So um, uh, we certainly could have a pool party there one time. We wanted to, I suppose, you know, with the uh, replete with uh, blow up, um, you know, this, that, and the other, but, but it's, it, what's nice is it gives us, it gives, <laughs> for that <camp. laughs> It's, uh, what is the rating of this show? <laughs> I was even going to tell him we have matching thermal suits, but never mind. Yeah, don't go there. Oh, geez. Yeah. This is uh, why I stay on my side of the glass. That's why you're on that side, exactly. I think the reason why we're so thrilled with the size of that tank is, again, it affords us uh, so much more flexibility uh, to be able to do things correctly that uh, you just can't. I mean, you know, most Foley stages, if they have a, a water tank, it's right next to the wall. So you get reflections, no yeah. matter what you do. And you can't move that much water. This one, you can move a ton of water. It's incredible. Yeah. So anyway, now I'll stop and hand off to Shelly if I missed anything. No, you, you, call, you explain the water tank to a T. <laughs> how does one move a great volume of water? Well, it's, so well, it's, how deep is it, John? How deep's the tank? It's like five feet deep? Four feet deep? It's, no, it's five feet. So... so uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. So, so, no, I was just going to say, they get into it. And it's so the dimensions of it are, I would say, I don't know, seven feet by seven feet. Correct. And then, so then, yeah, so you fill that up. So you've got plenty of room to move around. You spread your arms out and, and you can create waves or whatever. Yeah, like we had to create waves for a giant shark in Finding Dory. And so we experimented a little bit with some hydrophones and underwater um what is what's pzm what is that mike pzm thank you i couldn't think of it at the moment and we just found that the surface of the water sounds best so we just move a lot of water on the surface so to answer your question to move a lot of water on the surface i would use my hands and a giant towel that's held taut in between them and just like push it as hard as I can across or just use my entire body and move my body with my hands um, so I can generate the most energy. But the, but the, but the walls! There are no walls in the ocean. No walls? It's your destiny, destiny. Well, why didn't you say so? Destiny, wait, no, that's a wall! Hello, I'm Bailey, Mrs. Dory, Mr. Dory. Oh, please, oh, call me I, Jenny. I'm Charlie. Okay, okay, we gotta go. We gotta stop that truck. Okay, what truck? I'm thinking about Dunkirk. I guess you had that tank built when you were working on that film? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was prior to, but um, in that particular film, we luckily have a large elephant door uh, where we can bring in things the size of a fire truck. So we can just like drive onto the stage of the fire truck if we want to. So we took a, how long was that boat, you guys, that we brought in? It's like a six. 14 feet. Was it 14 feet? Yeah. Oh. Okay. 
So a nice aluminum boat just to get the sound of the water lapping against the sides. We put it upside down on John's head. He was inside of it. And <laughs> and um, <laughs> I was there to spot... <laughs> Yeah, I was there to spot them to make sure nothing would happen, but we got some great stuff because we were able to immerse that a lot of that boat and John in there manipulating the water for Dunkirk. So that was cool. So the ramp part of the tank, uh, is that your own design or is that something I've never heard of that? I think the whole before. Foley stage is John's design, right, John? Uh, for better or worse. <laughs> uh, I, and, and But, but uh, a big caveat with that too is, um, uh, a good friend of mine, David Fine, who's a retired Foley artist, uh, I sketched out on a napkin one day. We were having lunch down in L.A. and told him because I knew this potentiality was going to happen. And we kind of talked about pit placement uh, and things like that. And then Ed Bannon, who, uh, who rests his soul, is a wonderful man. Um, he was a chief tech at a place I owned with some other fellows um, in the uh, – late 80s, early 90s, excuse me, in the 80s, that was a custom Foley stage. So anyway, I've been around the block a bit on doing that, but I also know enough that I don't know anything, if you will. So ask people, you know, what, what their opinions are. And a couple other people actually uh, also gave their thoughts on it, along with the tech staff at um, Skywalk, which is amazing. You know, uh, uh, Steve Morris um, and, and, and Jim Austin. And again, uh, Scott even talked to Scott. In fact, Scott's dad helped build the, one of the wood surfaces that we walk on. You know, so it's really a family affair. It's amazing. What kind of microphones are you using? Uh, I've got we've got a KMR eighty one, MHK Sennheiser MHK eight hundred. Um, I've got in the ceiling. I've got some MHK eighty twenties. Uh, I've got at least two. I don't use them both. In fact, I only use one. Usually, just one at a time in the roof. Um, but we've got, I've got a Royer ribbon mic, uh, a couple 87s, uh, some contacts. What kind of sound would make you pull out the ribbon mic? Uh, you know, actually, uh, glass crystal kind of things, um, uh, brassies, things that are, that can get a little harsh, transients get a little harsh. Um, it'll mellow it out a little bit. And are you, uh, uh, I guess, uh, a question about Omni versus uh, directional mics and how you deploy that? The rooms are Omnis. The, I will, the, well, obviously the KMR is, the 81 is a uh, shotgun. So, and I'll use that for, which I shoot most, I do use the 81 for feet mostly just because if I need to, it's easier to put, when I put it off axis, it'll mellow out the perspective and I can still keep good level but it's not as in your face. And I don't have to move it very far because it's so sensitive. Uh, the 800 I use a lot for, the, for a lot of props and stuff. And my preamps are uh, Martin Sounds, MS, MSS-10s, I think. They're single to unit. Um, those things are tanks. I can beat the heck out of those, those pre's and, and um, get great recordings. I love my pre's. I've got some Pueblos as well, which are really nice, nice and clean. Oh, but what were you asking about? Oh, Omnis versus, uh, I, what is, I think, I think the 800, it's, it's in cardioid, but it's not very, uh, it's not a strict cardioid. Who handles mic placement? We do. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I assumed that, but you were kind of wording it, Scott, as if you were go jumping in, into the room every 30 seconds to move the mics around. I rarely get up out of my chair. 
So perfect. <laughs> <laughs> he just commands us. He says, Mongo, go over there and move the mic. Exactly. <laughs> That's my nickname. Okay. <laughs> Among others, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but if Scott, for example, if we're working with grit and it's really harsh on the mic sometimes, then Scott will simply say, Will you hairball me? And I'll know to put it off axis, just a hairball. So we just we just have our way of communicating that. Of course. Obviously, that's what a hairball means. Right. <laughs> it's universal uh, Foley speak, just so you know. <laughs> that's so not true. <laughs> <laughs> you, you all worked on Onward, mm-hmm. the latest Pixar release? Yeah. Now, I have to tell you, uh, I got a little overambitious and uh, thought that it would be really good for Onward to be my young son's first film. Uh-oh. <laughs> and we went to it. And about uh, an hour and 10 minutes in, he just grabbed my sleeve and was like, uh, we got to go. <laughs> he got too scared. Yeah. But uh, the first hour and 10 minutes sounded fantastic, let me tell you. <laughs> Good. Well, it's all about... <laughs> I just have no idea how it ends. <laughs> it's all about one of the characters overcoming his fear of a lot of things and becoming more confident. So when your kid is ready exactly. to do that in his life, yeah. right, then bring him back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Luckily, it's available on Disney Plus now. So that's nice. People can at least see it and listen to it at home. So, did the fact that the father character in Onward, he didn't have a top half of his body, change the way you affected the footsteps? Um, I would say that is not, that wasn't a factor. The fact that dad only has a half of his body wasn't a weight factor or anything. But the fact that he didn't have a voice really put a lot of emphasis on how important these footsteps were for dad. So... Again, we spent a lot of time. Luckily, uh, I chose the right shoe. And we just spent a lot of time making it perfect and adding sweeteners. And when his foot, we called it sniffing because his foot would kind of sniff around the room. I would pick a shoe that my instincts would tell me to choose, and we'd try it out. And we tried to accomplish a lot of variation in the expressiveness of the footstep because he's communicating to his boys, like, where am I? Who are you? Oh, my gosh, I know who you are. Oh, here's a hug. And so his shoe gives Barley's shoe a hug, and we added a little squeak on top of it, like a warm, beautiful squeak, like, oh, hello. It's really him. Dad, you are in your house. Oh, whoa. Oh, he can't hear us. And just these little nuancey details hopefully helped communicate that. What are you doing? And, and can I jump in and just say, for anybody out there that's listening that's either wants to be a Foley artist, I would go to that scene when you can, when, you know, dad's shoes kind of come alive. And as Shelly just mentioned, he's sniffing around and going up and talk, quote, talking, unquote, to Barley. That is a perfect Foley 
moment. Yeah, wow. Feet, <laughs> truly. Dude. So. Shelly just had a single tear going down her cheek. <laughs> <laughs> a good partner is a supportive partner. Yeah, but it, but it and actually it speaks to the question of like, wait a second, why not a Foley library, quote unquote, whatever that's called is, you know? You could not, in a, a million years, cut that, make it anywhere near what Shelley put into that emotionally. No way. No way. Thanks. And then Scott also, he definitely took the beginning of take one and the end of take two to make it perfect. And then Chris Flick, who is this Foley editor, I'm sure went above and beyond as well to just piece together the right moments to make that beautiful. Absolutely. Then yeah. even pass that, of course, onto the pre-dubs and the dubbing, you know, all, all along the chain, you know, it's the weakest link. Unfortunately, we were very, very fortunate where we work, knocking on wood, hopefully I didn't blow every speakers out. We have incredibly mm-hmm. talented people all the way along the line. And for that, I'm forever grateful. How much interaction between these incredibly talented people and the Foley stage, like the Foley stage is in a, in a separate building. How often do the ed- editors and the sound editors and the mixing uh, engineers interact with you? Well, now, not at all, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. We see everybody for breakfast and lunch because Skywalker has a wonderful breakfast uh, ritual where we all join in the tech building and our friend Dave makes us eggs and we just catch up and maybe talk about work, maybe not, and share what we're excited about and what we're working on together or just something random that makes us laugh. It's a wonderful way to start the day. So we are separate from everybody else down in the archives building, but we get visited from our sound supervisors. We maintain in contact all the time if we're working on a show with them. We'll have them come watch down a reel with us for playback when we're done. Um, We don't see people very often, which allows us to work and have a great flow, but we definitely have a wonderful collaborative relationship and open door policy on our Foley stage. Absolutely. And Scott, how often does someone come to you and uh, say, how'd you do that? Or can you do this differently? Or is there any kind of collaboration that way? Or Well, I mean, well, I'll, we're always constantly checking in to make sure that what we're turning over is working and, and is it meeting expectations? Is it, um, is it, you know, what, yeah, is, is it working? Um, and then if there's anything we can do on our side to, to correct that if it needs, if it needs to be corrected. Um, but yeah, I mean, same thing. We, we all, we all kind of collect in the, in, at entertainment or in the, in this room at breakfast time. And so we're, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to guys from other shows or, or, or the show we're on, and, and or we may run into somebody and say, hey, we just got a turnover. Can you guys um, not go to the next reel and just finish the feed on this one thing? You should get something by the afternoon, and it'll be updated, and, and we can go from there, blah, blah, blah. Just th- that kind of thing. That happens all the time. Imagine you guys must be maybe more connected at Skywalker because you, like the Foley people are, seem to be working on so many shows Whereas a uh, dialogue editor might be only on a few at a time. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, I think we work on more projects than the average editor that, goes, that works at the ranch. I mean, granted, we're not the only Foley crew at the ranch. There are mm-hmm. what? Correct me if I'm wrong. Four? Four? Yeah. Yep. The, the Foley crews do touch more, more than the average editor that works at the ranch. But we're off now. 
and everybody else is working. <laughs> That's an issue for a lot of productions, actually. It is. So, yeah. The, between uh, Foley and uh, orchestral score, a lot mm. of things can keep going on, but those two cannot. Uh, I fear we're going to have some really crappy MIDI scores coming out in the next year. <laughs> but I don't know what the answer is for Foley, though. I don't think there really is one. So. Let's just wait and see when we can get back to it, because we're just going to have to wait until we, all three of us can get back and work together. But in the meantime, you know, we are following the, uh, what uh, the, both the governor has stated and, of course, what um, Skywalker Ranch wants and needs from us, which we completely understand. I, I, I had a couple of thoughts real quick. Uh, one, I get, you know, and people want to have work completed, et cetera. And, of course, we want to get back to work as quickly as we can. But, again, we want to do it from a point of safety because what's most important, what's critical to me, critical, is Shelly, is Scott, their spouses, their kids, et cetera. That's more important mm -hmm. than anything, really. Because mm -hmm. when you get down to it, what do you have in life? And two, uh, a self-serving plug, um, uh, and you can edit this out if you want, uh, there is a podcast I do with my daughter called therightscuff.com. So if that can be in, great. If not, no worries. Oh, it can definitely be in. Speak a little more about it. Oh, gosh, I'll make it quick. Uh, it was somewhat a brainchild of my daughter saying, hey, dad, you do kind of a fun thing. Like, yeah, it's fun. And she said, well, maybe we can talk to people about it. And so uh, both Shelly and Scott were wonderful. I'd be guinea pigs to have me kind of start with them and get my feet wet in this area. And, um, you know, it's really geared towards young people wanting to get into the business. You know, what were the forks in the road that I took? Let's say what Shelly took or how did Scott get in it? And really some detail to that because – you know, uh, everyone should have a dream and should try to fulfill that dream if they want, you know, because I hear sometimes, in fact, there was a guy in India I was talking about this. I can't, I can't do fully. It's just, I can't afford it, et cetera. I, go, I don't know his situation or her situation, so to speak, but I try. You never know what'll happen. Because certainly I did not get into this business to be a Foley artist. I got into the film business. I thought to be an actor, then I thought to be a director, and now here I am. So point being, that's the thrust of this podcast is to hopefully illuminate to people out there what the possibilities are. And then we have some other fun things, too. We actually interviewed um, uh, Jack Foley's granddaughter, uh, who has stories about Jack, et cetera. But again, not to go off on, on the tangent on this, just to, and thank you for asking. But it's uh, hopefully people would find it fun. That's it. Yeah, if you're listening to this podcast right now, whatever service you're listening through, uh, use the search function to find the right scuff, and that will uh, lead you to your podcast, John. And uh, you can find the episodes that uh, Shelley and Scott have been on, and uh, maybe we'll put links up on this episode page for that as well. But yeah, I've been listening to the right scuff from the start, and uh, it's been very entertaining. And uh, the props of the week were always fun as well. <laughs> well. I can't do that now, but that's coming back soon. Just get the egg beater from your kitchen. I was just going to say, that spatula. <laughs> <laughs> These are E.T.'s ears. Slap, slap, slap. One more thing really quick. I worked on a film many years ago that's uh, called To Be or Not To Be, which Mel Brooks was a director. And he came into the stage and listened to playback on a particular reel. And it was actually on a, the, the scene was on a legit stage theater where the curtain rings down. And so I took a very large piece of corduroy along with my partner at that time, uh, Joan Rowe. And we, we took a, kind of like a knife-like su surface and zzz, made this kind of sound, if you will, for the ringing of the curtain down. 
Mel goes, wait, wait, stop, stop. What? The Zuz. What is that? Cut, cut the Zuz. So from that point forward, any time uh, that, that comes along in Foley, I always say, I always, we always call it Zuz. At least, you know, people I work with. So, so we can thank Mel for that. Anyway, that's kind of my story for the day. And I'm, I'm and John Resch out. <laughs> Let's cut the Zuz, okay? <laughs> you guys have done nothing to dissipate the widely held belief that Foley is the most fun part of mm-hmm. sound production. <laughs> If you get the right people together, it certainly is. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah, you, we're all jealous of what you uh, are able to do and I guess where you're able to do it normally. Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It's been really great. And uh, I, it's always great. To, sometimes we get some sound people on that, uh, you know, they are in sound because they uh, don't want to be in front of the camera or in front of the mic. And it's always great to hear uh, sound professionals telling jokes and getting along so well and uh, having fun. Thank you so much for hosting us, you guys. Really fun. It was very fun to talk. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Take care, guys. Hang in there. See See you, Scotty. See you, Shell. See you, John. I had a really good time doing that interview. They are super fun people. I just wanted to remind everybody about what I spoke about off the top of this episode, the sound effects library of cartoon sounds that you can help a charity with and get an amazing library. So go to www.frscharity.org and you will find all the details. It's an amazing library of sounds. It's indispensable and you get to help a charity. Don't miss out on this chance. Go get it. See ya. Thunderbenders is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H or leave us a tip. Just go to tonebenderspodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. <laughs>